0: A deeper dive into the books of the Bible Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible I'm your co-host Ken Corkins and with me as always is my longtime pastor and friend, Rocky Ellison Hello uh, this is episode one, and we pray that we are sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do. We are starting this series by working our way through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Uh, now, if you listen to our previous uh, episode zero or intro, you'll know that we, we tend to go through a book at a time. Uh, and we're starting just because that's where we are uh, here at the Ponder United Methodist Church, starting with 1 uh, Peter. So let me ask you this first. Uh, about how many sermons are you going to turn the book of first peter into for looks
1: us? like it's going to be 11 or 12 there are a, a couple sections of scripture that i'm not quite sure if i want to take them in a big chunk or break them into two so somewhere between 11 and 12 weeks
0: okay that works for me uh not like i can say no
1: <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> great you know on a typical um on a typical night we're going to take 5 to 15 or so verses uh, and really chew into them and get get down to the depth of what the book is trying to say to us but because this is the first night of the book um I want to do an overview and that's that's typical anytime we start something new we'll do an overview of the entire book to begin with um but for tonight just to get us started in I want to read the first two verses of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you, and chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy as a result you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ may god give you more and more grace and peace excellent
0: i'm glad you had to read all those hard words all those <laughs> names of those cities
1: sometimes people get messed up with those turns out those aren't cities those are geographic regions they're more like states okay the letter is written kind of to like Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana,
0: all right, so uh, how do you want to start and kind of dive into this uh into this book? I mean this is not one that we typically read a whole lot of, although it's reading it it's a great book. I know kind of yeah. my overview of it, of it is it's a a pep letter to the uh the Christians that are being persecuted and
1: right. that is exactly right that is exactly right uh you know the author is well. The author is Peter in my book. It starts off, it says, I am Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, um, for the first, uh, I don't know, 1900 years of the Christian church, there was virtually no doubt about the author of this book. Everyone knew it was Peter. The church fathers, uh, men like Irenaeus, Tertullian origin, for the first 400 years of the church, they were absolutely adamant. This this letter, this epistle came to us from the Apostle Peter himself. But starting about, I guess, about a 100 years ago, back in the early 1900s, a lot of the liberal seminaries began casting doubt on the the authorship of just about every book in the Bible. Uh, and so now, no matter which book you pick, you can find uh, academic theologians uh, who believe they are experts who are going to tell you absolutely not. The book First Peter's not written by Peter at all; written by somebody else. Uh, for my money, it comes from Peter, and I think there's a lot of good internal evidence in the book itself, other than the fact that Peter says he wrote it and and that the church fathers believed that. Um, in the Gospel of John, there's this great story after the resurrection where Jesus and Peter are walking along the Sea of Galilee, uh, and the Apostle John, is tra- they're having a private conversation, and John is trailing along behind them, and he's trying to eavesdrop on the conversation. <laughs> uh, we think John was the youngest of all the apostles. Right. Uh, and then the, the other uh, apostles are, are way off behind. They're not part of the conversation at all. And and I'm sure most of the listeners are familiar. Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Uh, and three times Peter says, Lord, you you know that I love you. And three times uh, Jesus says, then Peter, feed my sheep. Right. Well, that exchange appears here in the gospel or the, the letter of First Peter. Uh, and the only way anyone would know about that conversation— is if they were there. So it has to be Jesus or Peter or John who's writing this because nobody else would have known about that conversation. John doesn't write his gospel for another 20 years after this letter comes out.
0: That was going to be my question. You know, if John, where this exchange occurred, was written, like you said, 20 years after, there's no way anybody but an insider uh, would have known about that conversation. So yeah. Absolutely.
1: So uh, I think that sets Peter as the author. Uh, and there is, in, in Acts chapter 4, there is a sermon that Peter preaches, that, that, uh, a speech really that he gives. And you find uh, bits and pieces of that speech in one of the chapters here in 1 Peter. And again, I don't think anyone would have paid particular note to that or have had access to that except the guy who said the words. Right. So for my money, that makes it pretty obvious Peter wrote this letter. The people that oppose it do so on the basis of the
0: quality of the Greek. Ah. Say, hey, Peter was a fisherman. Right. He was a poor fisherman. Well, maybe not poor, but he was a fisherman (laughs) of nothing else. In fact, one of the favorite things is to say
1: an uneducated fisherman. Okay. Um, And there's no way he could have written Greek this good. It's some of the best Greek in the New Testament. Uh, And so on that basis alone, they go, had to be somebody else. It's someone using Peter's name. Uh, And and I think there's two reasons why that's not a good argument. Uh, First is everybody knew Greek. It was the international language. Peter is a fisherman. If he's going to do business and sell fish, he had to be able to speak Greek. Uh, That was the international language. And this letter is written some 30 years after the resurrection right right this is this comes around uh, 60 to 64 AD somewhere in that time frame it's written and so peter has been running the church an apostle of jesus christ for 30 years you and i we can't converse in greek but if if we knew we were going to have to start writing letters in greek and and we were going to have to start talking to people in greek i'll bet you 30 years from now you and i could both put together uh, a decent sermon in pretty good Greek. If that's what we knew we had to do to spread our message, so uh, probably true. The the I think Peter could have learned the quality of Greek that this letter shows. Uh, How about uh, maybe he spoke to a scribe who then prettied it up? Outstanding, because in chapter five, at the very end of, of the book, in fact, Peter acknowledges Silas. It says, "I want to give Silas a little credit here for uh, doing." The transcribing for me, for actually putting the words on paper. Silas, it's the same Silas that traveled with the Apostle Paul. He was Greek, and he was highly educated. So, even if Peter's Greek never did progress that far, he has Silas do the letter, and Silas would have written it in the best Greek that he could. And so, it, it doesn't mean it wasn't Peter.
0: All right? Peter dictated it. Silas cleaned it up, so to speak, and made it presentable or, or you know, just see the the Greek that we see in this letter. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm good with that.
1: He Peter writes this letter from Rome. This is coming towards the end of his life. Um he's in the city of Rome. He has not yet been arrested, uh, place under house arrest. He's he's that's coming within the next 12 months or so. And then a year after that, he's gonna be executed for being a Christian. But and he knows it's coming. Uh Nero is the Emperor of Rome, and Nero hates christian well Nero finds Christians to be the world's best scapegoat. <laughs> he burns a huge portion of the city of Rome, just burns it to the ground because it's where he wants to put his fabulous new palace and his uh his circus, his arena. And so he burns it to the ground. Well, that makes the people that live there really angry. Well, yeah. <laughs> and Nero blames the Christians. It's their fault. They're the ones who started the fire because Christians don't like the rest of us. They're <laughs> they're antisocial, uh, and they're odd, quirky, weird people. And it's the Christians that did this. And he gets the city of Rome to really turn against Christians. Uh this is the time when Nero is just beginning to throw Christians into the Colosseum and make them fight against lions and bears, sometimes gladiators. Uh, this is the time frame where Nero likes to take Christians, dip them in tar, uh, and then strap them to poles. And on the nights of his big parties, he lights them on fire and uses Christians as uh night lighting street lights uh and so peter is not a fool he he sees the persecution that's coming and he knows it's going to find its way to him he can either break and run get out of dodge uh which he chooses not to do or he can stand there and and be the example to the rest of the world of of martyrdom in the face of a of an evil emperor uh, and peter knows that what what he's about to go through is going to find its way east to what today we call Turkey, the country of Turkey. And that's who he writes these, this letter to. It's to all of the geographic areas in the nation of Turkey. And it's, it's a warning that the persecution that I'm seeing here in Rome, the persecution I'm about to endure, it's headed your way. You guys right. need to, to prep up because this is coming. Uh, but at the same time, he also acknowledges a per se or, or a suffering that the Christians in Turkey are going through right now, uh, and I find it really interesting. Throughout this letter, he talks about what's it like when your own family doesn't get your faith, and so they start distancing from you. And a lot of the Christians in Turkey are are getting pushback or uh, the cold shoulder from their best friends and family now that they've made this decision to love Jesus.
0: right? right. Cause that's a, a very big turn from the worship of gods of the day. And so, yeah, if you're going to stop worshiping the gods, I worship and said, worship this weird unknown God from, from somewhere else. You're weird. I'm not going to hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, terrible rumors uh,
1: were spreading about Christians throughout uh, Turkey. Um, this is a weird one. They're atheists. Christians are atheists because we know there are hundreds of gods, and they only worship one of them. They turn their back uh, on, on these other 90-plus gods. So really, in, in our book, that makes them atheists. Right. They don't really love the gods. They only love this one minor god from Judea, and he wasn't even god enough to live. He, somebody killed him. Right. They buried him. <laughs> so they picked a really bad god. Their god's dead. Uh, so they're atheists, which makes them a little odd. Um, They're cannibals. They have this right. secret ceremony where they eat the body of their god and they drink the blood of their god. Now, that's just downright creepy. Uh, Absolutely. So why Why would you ever let your child get involved in a cult like that where they do bizarre things like that? Uh, we know and that today the, is
0: communion, but yeah. yeah. Yes, <laughs> That's all yes. they're doing is just having a little communion, but...
1: And then and then one of the other rumors about Christians is they're incestuous. <sighs> they call each other brother and sister, and they believe that they are this special family, but their God told them, love one another like I've loved you. And that's got to be incest, right? It's got to be some kind of physical love that he's right. talking about. so. What You would never want anybody that you care about to get involved with Christians. They're atheist, cannibal, incestuous. It's it's just a horrible, horrible group. Yeah, those people are terrible. No, you want your kid to hang out with good people, not bad people, not Christians. And so when somebody makes the decision for faith and they come home and they're like, guess what? I was baptized today and I'm part of this new church. Um, It's not going well at home. It's not going well at work. Right. A lot of them are getting laid off from their jobs because I don't need anybody coming in here spreading that that junk theology around right. work here, and so Peter's aware there's there's this special kind of suffering that they're going through in Turkey, uh, and they need to be encouraged. And, right. and so you were right when you said it's a really positive, upbeat hopeful letter. Peter writes this to say, you guys hang in there. You're special. I, I love you guys, and I've got something really good for you. Jesus has something really good for you. The Holy Spirit has something really good for you. So, you hang in there, and it's a very
0: it's a very encouraging letter. It's a pep letter to those who are about to be persecuted, uh, hopefully it's to help them get through it, because you've got to know that this is just temporary, we're only here for a while, and what lies beyond because of your faith in Jesus, it's worth it. See, and that shows up in the very first two
1: verses, which we read tonight. He says uh, to the people living, and then he lists those geographic areas, he says, you're foreigners in, you know, Cappadocia and Bithynia. Um, no, they're not. They were born there. They're right. all native children. As we go through the book, we're going to find out Peter's theme is... No, 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 no. You are not of this world. This is not your home. Your home is in heaven with Jesus. So I don't want you to sweat what's going on in this place where you are now because it's not your home. That's not your family. Your real family and your real home are waiting for you. You just got to get through this life uh, to get where you belong.
0: Kind of relevant for today even. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. What else did you want to cover?
1: We're going to see Peter push two themes very strong uh, throughout the book. Uh, and the first is
0: sanctification. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. Okay. That's some of those big church words, yeah. sanctification. <laughs> so we kind of probably need to understand, for those who may not, what sanctification is. When you read your Bible, uh, depending on what translation you read,
1: you'll see the word saved, you know, and right. he, was, he was saved. Um, But there are three different concepts that word saved in English can reference. Um, When you make the decision to be a Christian, to accept Jesus into your heart, to become a follower of Christ, the technical word for that is justified. Okay. But we write that in the Bible as saved. Okay. When you get to heaven, you are going to be made perfect. And the technical word for that is glorified. Okay, But again, uh, uh, Paul in certain places says, you know, when you get to heaven and you're finally saved. (laughs) Now, in between those two, in between the minute you decided to be a, a Christian and when you get to heaven, that rest of your life, you're supposed to do the best you can to be as much like Jesus as you possibly can. And that process is called sanctification. And... Peter, this is the first time we're going to see him really push sanctification. Throughout the book of Acts, when Peter is talking, he's always talking about, you got to, you got to be, you have to be a believer. And by that, he meant you have to believe in the resurrection. If right. you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, then none of the rest of Christianity means anything to you. you you've got, you have, it is the linchpin. And so, Peter has always been really associated with belief in the resurrection. But starting in this letter, he's going to transition to sanctification. How you live matters. And especially how you live when your family rejects you for being a Christian, how you live when your boss fires you for being a Christian, how you live when you end up bankrupt and unemployed, and you lose your home, and your wife and kids decide they don't want any part of you, how you respond to that is sanctification, and the world watches that to decide, do I want to be a Christian or not? That is the single strongest recruiting tool we have even today in the church. How Christians endure suffering and persecution— is what attracts the rest of the world to the faith. And Peter's going to press that throughout the book. The other thing that he's going to do, and I, and I absolutely love this, is he's going to give Christians a really solid identity. Prior to this, it was, I'm a Gentile Christian, or I'm a Jewish Christian, or I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a Christian from Judah, or I'm a Christian from Turkey, or I'm a Christian from Rome. He's going to finally give them throughout this book one identity for everybody to hang on to. You are the people of God. Now they're familiar with that term from the Old Testament. Israel, we were, they were the people of God. God chose them to take his message to the world. He would be their God. They would be his people. Now they, they fell short of getting the job done. And Peter says that's been transferred. You are now the people of God. It's now your job to take the message of Jesus to the world. Israel didn't get it done. You've got to get that finished. But because of that, all of the promises that God made in the Old Testament now belong to you. And so that's a real encouragement to people that are suffering. That as I as I thumb through all of the Old Testament books and I find the prophet says, this is the blessing God wants to give you, that now comes to me because I'm a Christian. I'm one of the people of God. Uh, One of the things we're going to see Peter do is start giving Christians titles, Um, not like bishop or deacon or or elder, um, but titles that have to do with how God views them. Um, I absolutely love in in chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And he does those as titles. I can start claiming that. I am a royal priest. I am God's chosen possession. And so he wants them to really embrace their specialness, and that that should be encouraging and affirming to them. Uh, And then the last thing as part of this new identity is Peter's going to say, People are going to make the word Christian an insult. I want you to wear it as a badge of honor. When they go, you're a Christian, I want you to stand up and go, yes, yes, I am. I am a Christian. I am beloved of God.
0: I'm a royal priest. Right. That's great. I mean, that's good news, right? For yes. all of us today that are Christians. So yeah. that, To know that all that is passed on to us and we can claim those as our own. That's, that's wonderful. Let me ask you this. Was there anything in your reading that you found, that you learned that you hadn't known before?
1: Um, yeah, I didn't realize that that Peter got that involved with sanctification. I always thought that was Paul. Right. Paul is the one who's always telling people, hey, you got to live like you are never going to sin again. You got to get up and try that every day. You got you to gotta stop being okay with sin. Um, and Peter I've always seen as – I got to build a church. I got to build a church. Jesus gave me this job, feed my sheep, build the church. Uh, and so it was a surprise to me that, that Peter, when he decided, how am I going to build the church? I'm going to piggyback on Paul.
0: Right. We're going to get sanctified. Right. <laughs> He's talking more about spirituality rather rather than more of the uh, day-to-day yes. build the church kind yeah. of stuff. It's like, okay, the church is going to be, well, the church is being persecuted, uh, but don't worry so much about that because what lies beyond is so much better and so much more important that um, – yeah, so it was, like I said, it was kind of a pep talk and trying to build up the people because life's about to really stink for them.
1: The early church fathers nicknamed Peter the Apostle of Hope. I had never heard that before. Nor had I. And it's all because of this letter. Wow. So it's going to be a very uplifting
0: letter. Yeah. Peter to me, I mean, he's kind of – He's kind of the everyman in a way. You know, we, we represent him as kind of, in some ways, the bumbling fool. Uh, you know, he doesn't know any better, so he does this or that. Uh, you know, he's the man who walked, on, who tried to walk on water, made yeah. a few steps and didn't, uh, you know, denied Christ. Um, but all the way, you know, Jesus always had it in mind that he would be— kind of the foundation, the rock if you will, of the church and so to see him go from, you know, a businessman owning a fishing agency to like I said all the way to the first pope, uh, that's quite a quite an accomplishment for a man for an uneducated uh <laughs> Hebrew um to make it all that way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting to me. Um that's probably what I found kind of the most interesting was like I said this is a a pep talk and that's not how I see Peter either. Right? I see him as the nuts and bolts Leadership, let's build a church. And he was in here uh, giving everybody hope for uh, the better future that lies ahead. So,
1: yeah, the other thing that that I guess surprised me um, Paul's letter, Paul writes to churches. Right. Now, if everything's going good at the church, you don't need to write him a letter and give him any advice. If things are good, leave it alone. So, all of Paul's letters are written to problem churches. Right. And I guess in the back of my mind, I just kind of thought, Peter was going to be writing to a, a problem church as well, so there was going to be a lot of negative stuff in there. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. But it's not. It's a whole different situation. And because of that, it comes across so affirmative.
0: That's excellent. So let me ask you this. Uh, have you given a title to the sermon yet? Yeah, In fact, I called the, the sermon uh, Encouraged. Encouraged. Okay. Um, so if you want to hear the sermon that Rocky delivers, uh, it'll be on our website. At uh, www.ponderumc.org. If you navigate to the top, there's a menu called Ministries. And from that menu, you choose Sermons, and you'll find uh, this sermon and other sermons from the past. Um, and this will have been delivered on August 29th of 2021. 21. We're recording ahead of that. So for us, it's in the future. For you, it's in the past. Um, <laughs> and with that— I think we'll close this episode uh, from the bustling megaplex of Ponder, Texas. This is Ken Corkins and Rocky Ellison reminding you to love God and
1: be nice to people. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find us at www.ponderumc.org. There, you can watch the live stream of our casual service, listen to replays of this and past sermons, and find other interesting information about us. This has been Pondering the Bible.